Good evening, my name's Liam and I'll bring you the Bible verse for today. Today's uh, Bible reading comes from Mark 12 verses 28 to 34. So if you'd like to open that up. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, him, of all commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Thank you. Thanks for that, Liam. Well, good evening, one and all. It's great to be before you once more and uh, being able to bring the word to you this evening. Uh, just before we get into that, for those of you who don't know, my ordination service was last night and a number of people attended that. I didn't even see who that was. Ah, oh, yeah. So, so for the Yahoo was um, pleasure up the back, I will say he has announced that it was Reverend Charles's ordination. So yesterday's the only time you could get to call me reverend. It's not going to happen after that. But on behalf of the church, I was presented a six-volume ESV reader's copy of the Bible. And I've got to tell you, I'm absolutely delighted with that. It's something that um, perhaps I coveted a little when I saw someone else get uh, an inferior NIV version. But now I have the ESV version. Uh, that's absolutely fantastic. So this evening, we're going to continue on our discipleship series. And tonight, I want to talk about, uh, well, we're going to get into actually what true discipleship is. And last week, um, I had this message, which was first and foremost, the gospel which Jesus proclaimed. And the gospel message that Jesus proclaimed was about this new kingdom that was coming in. And this new kingdom that would come in would sweep aside all other kingdoms. And in short... This was the message that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour, that he came to this earth 100% as a human, that he lived as a man in all aspects, facing the temptations, the emotions, the challenges, and everything else that we face with only one exception. And that is that Jesus Christ himself was perfect. He never sinned. And then our forefathers decided that we didn't like Jesus. And so we trumped up a whole heap of charges against him, And we had him killed. And the evidence of the day suggested that Jesus rose on the third day. And many witnessed him in his resurrected body. And he ascended into heaven. And we believe he lives and reigns in glory now, seated at God's right hand, interceding for us. And the exciting news is he's going to come back. And he's going to judge the living and the dead. But if we've chosen to believe all about him, that he came and died in our place, took my punishment upon himself, suffered in my place, 
and I now call him my Lord and Saviour, we get to be with him in glory. And that is going to be awesome. But in calling him my Lord and Saviour, there's certain responsibilities that I need to follow. And it's true for every Christian believer. And so this evening, I'm hoping to build on what we heard last week. And hopefully you learned something last week. Hopefully you learned something this evening as well. And realize that our lives as Christ followers should have had a radical transformation from what we used to live and how we used to live. Let me just pause and pray. Father God, thank you for your presence here tonight. Thank you that we've been able to worship and honour you in music and song. Thank you, Lord, that we have talented people who can lead us in such a way. And thank you, Lord, that some of these talented people are sitting up the back giving us audio and giving us PC. And now, Father, we just want to pause and we want to ask you to open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word before us. Let us hear your voice. May you challenge us by power of Holy Spirit. May we want to change so we can draw closer to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, when we consider Christianity, I would be very surprised if the majority people, if not all people, would not agree that this is the core mission of our church. Well, this is the core mission of us as Christians. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. This is the Great Commission, and I believe that this is something that all Christians are called to do. It is not reserved for the pastors and teachers and evangelists. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we have a story to tell. And in, we, and in this passage of Scripture, we are commanded to tell that story. We don't have to have theological qualifications in order to do that. And in fact, some of the greatest things have happened when just common men have been willing to step up and talk about what Jesus has done in their life. And it's the reality of Jesus in our lives that actually changes other people's lives. They can't refute it. It's your experience. It's what Jesus has genuinely done for you. And I believe that each and every one of us has the ability to influence others for Christ. And this is why this is a universal teaching. This is a universal command to each and every Christian everywhere in the world. And what we often don't understand is that this is the mission. But in order to carry out this mission, we must first align ourselves with God. We take the Great Commission as an assignment from God, but we seem to miss the call to align ourselves to God. And in order to be able to make disciples and instruct them in all that God has commanded us, we need to first and foremost be those disciples ourselves some would say that uh, that's pretty obvious it's a no-brainer doesn't need to be said but we're living in a time when we are so busy in our churches and yet we are producing less fruit than we ever have before we aren't seeing the number of people coming to faith that we once did and it would seem that we are busy doing rather than being the passage we read today 
One of the scribes came up and heard him disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then Jesus saw that he answered wisely, and he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And this is an incredible encounter in Scripture. This teacher of the law is coming to Jesus, and he's not asking Jesus what laws need to be obeyed. He's saying... What is laying behind it? What is at the heart of these commandments? What is it that God is asking us to do? Explain that to me, Jesus. And Jesus gives the answer that is straight down the line for every Jew that hears the words that he is saying. What he says is a direct quote from the Shema. Now, the Shema is something that is part of the daily confessions that every Jew says each and every day. And so when Jesus says this, that it resonates with them. They hear it and they understand what he is saying. And the declaration that God is the only God and that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul and strength speaks straight into that for them. That is their daily confession. And it's significant that Jesus quoted this passage because I believe that he fulfilled this requirement in his life. And I also believe that it is this that is at the heart of discipleship. If I were to ask you why Jesus came to this earth, we'd get a whole heap of answers. And I'd be really surprised if there was any wrong answers there. But what people would say is that he came to rescue us. He came to die for us. He came to die in my place. He came to take my punishment upon himself. He came to show us what love really was. And all of those answers are correct. But you notice that when we ask that question, we make it about us. It's, it's pulled down to me and what Jesus did for me. What if, you, what if it isn't just all about us? What if, what if there's something else, another reason that Jesus came, which is the overarching motivation of everything he did? What if what he did for me and you is just a byproduct of the real reason that he came? Yeah, there's a few people worried now. In John 14... Jesus is in the upper room speaking to his disciples, telling him the last few things that he will get to say before he is arrested and they're separated. So anything that is said at this time, we can take as being of utmost importance. There's a number of things that he instituted at that time. What we celebrate as communion is one of those things. And so these guys are hanging off what Jesus is actually saying. And the very last verse in John 14 is this. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus came to do as the Father commanded him, so the world would know that Jesus loved the Father. And this is key to everything that Jesus did. When we think about the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's so stressed about what is to come that he sweat droplets of blood such was the struggle that he faced and he knew what was coming 
And he prays so fervently, asking God that if there's any possible way that this could be done, any other way, please, let's do it that way. And even though he petitions God and he says, God, can we change this? He's, the final thing he says is, but not my will, your will be done. And this, again, is the sum focus of what discipleship is all about. When we think about our lives, discipleship isn't about what we do, what we achieve, how holy we look, how eloquently we speak, how big the words are that we can say. The bottom line in discipleship is, do you love God? Let's go back to the scribe that Jesus was talking to in Mark chapter 12. The scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And this teacher of the law knows scripture very well. He would have been able to quote huge chunks of scripture. Some of these guys actually knew all the scriptures, verbatim, incredible people. And he would most likely be able to um, realize that when Jesus answered, that that was part of the Shema. And he states that Jesus has answered well, and he affirms that to love God with all your heart and all your understanding and all your strength and all your love, your neighbor as yourself, is greater than all burnt offerings. And we see that this scribe is moving from that bondage of just doing the ceremonial things and beginning to gain an understanding of the moral law. And he's moved to a point where he is close to subjecting his own will to that of God. Jesus speaks to him again and says, you're not far from the kingdom. And what really surprises me is when Jesus says that, He's silent. He doesn't do anything else. For all of this guy's understanding, he just doesn't take that extra step. To be in the kingdom is not just about approving of what Jesus did and his teaching. It's not about knowing what Jesus did and his teaching. It's about submitting totally to Jesus and his authority and right here we see that our call is to love God with all our heart all our soul all our mind and all our strength that's a personal call to love God but it goes further we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves this is a call to love allow God's love to flow through through others sorry through us to others we are not called to love God in isolation but to love our neighbors and the definition of neighbor in Scripture is everyone. And I always find it interesting that that is quite clear in Scripture, but then we're also told, just in case we think we've got an exclusive clause, to also love your enemies. So when we're called to love our neighbor, we are called to love every human being. But the thing to remember in all of this is that the command to love God comes first. When we think about that, we need to realize that we are not divine, defined by how much we serve, how much we sacrifice, how well we sing worship songs, 
but we're defined by how much we love. When we think about Peter, when he declared that all the other disciples are going to fall away and he never would. And then he denies the Lord three times. When he's by the Sea of Galilee and Jesus restores him to faith, what is it that he asked Jesus? Oh, sorry, what is it that Jesus asks him? And Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me? And then in John 12, 34 and 35, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. A new commandment I give to you? Is this the first time in Scripture that God followers have been told to love one another? This is a new commandment. But if we look back, even in Leviticus 19.18, there is a command to love your neighbour as yourself. So what is before us is not necessarily new. It's not just the words that are on the page. But what we're being called to do here is to love each other with the sort of love that Jesus modelled. That's what Jesus is saying here. The pinnacle of Jesus' love is his love for his Father. And it's what characterises or makes their relationship so distinct, so different to how we love each other. Jesus loved God so much that he's willing to submit to God's will. And Jesus expresses God's love for him in John 15, 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So what we're called to do is not the love that we understand and know, but the love that Jesus knows. It's a love that is expressed through committed obedience. And in that John 13 passage where it says that people will know that we are Christ's disciples because of how we love one another, it's not just about being nice to each other. We often gloss over a lot of things and say, well, I'm nice to them. And we think we're being obedient. This new love is the love that Jesus is speaking of, and it's a love that costs. It's a love that in a situation here calls us to get up from our friends and walk across the room and speak to someone new. It's a love that would cause us to want to sit beside the person who is sitting on their own so we can have fellowship because they're here with us. It's a love that forgives our brothers and sisters over and over again without holding any grudges or any resentment. And it's about forgiving those people with joy because we understand the love that Jesus had for us and how he forgave us. Think about what it was like in Jesus' day. I've mentioned this many times and and it it still blows me away. You you think about those people who were unwell, especially the lepers in Jesus' day who would walk down the street crying out, unclean, unclean, and these people were untouched, unloved. 
They, they weren't part of community or society. And when Jesus came, he broke those barriers down. He didn't just break them down. He smashed them down. And he, he touched these people. He embraced these people. He held these people. He showed a love which went against all of what society said. That's the type of love that we are called to. It's a sacrificial love. It's about loving those that no one else will love. And it's about crossing boundaries, being willing to touch those that are considered to be untouchable. Imagine being that person. Imagine being touched. You haven't had human touch for so long, and this guy just touches you. It's incredible. He didn't just touch them. Some of them, I believe, he just hugged and he held them. He genuinely, unreservedly loved them. He could see value in each and every person. And that's what we need to arrive at. It's a love that thinks of others before oneself. It's a love that puts you before me. It's a love that looks beyond any hurt and injury and hate that you might throw at me and be willing to see each and every person in God's image. Each of us are made in God's image. It's a love that Jesus says is a new commandment. And you know what? It's a love I don't have. It's simply not possible. I don't love people like this on my own. But the incredible thing is when we begin to love God, when we begin to give him more and more of our lives, when we open ourselves fully to him, something happens. And this grace that we continually stand in, this grace and love of God which is continually poured out upon us, if we are open to him, if we're willing to give our whole life to him, we are filled to overflowing. And this love begins to flow out of us. And we end up doing things that we don't have control over because we're submitted to God and he can use us in those situations and circumstances. And his love begins to grow in your life. He begins to grow in my life. I remember when I used to go out on the streets, I used to minister to the indigenous in Rockhampton. And most of these guys are on crack or alcohol. We used to go out at about, oh, sorry, metho, not alcohol, more metho than anything else. We used to go out at about 11 o'clock at night and um, we'd, we'd usually wrap up at about 4 o'clock. And uh, we were out one night with a, couple of, uh, with a guy called Roger Jobling uh, who started the ministry and a couple of our Indigenous friends, a guy called Maxie and Gay McConlon, they were brothers. And um, we went out and there was this guy who was quite a spectacle. Uh, he was halfway through the transition of becoming a girl, an indigenous fellow. And um, he had heels like you wouldn't believe on that night. He had fishnet stockings. He had a skirt on, which was more like a boob tube. It was just so not much there. And uh, he had a boob tube on as well. And he had these most incredible hair extensions I've ever seen. It was down to about here. And, and I mean, he was quite noticeable. He stood out. And the incredible thing is this guy used to come to my church back in Bundaberg. And he used to come to Awana. Who knows Awana? No one? Oh, we've got three hands. Praise God. Yeah, so, so Awana's like Girls Boys Brigade. I know it's not really, but it's that type of thing where you come to this club, you get awards and things like that. It's an American-based thing. And we used to run that at our church. And this guy used to come along, and he was a guy. And uh, he, he loved it. And he was one of the most diligent. He knew all the Bible verses. He was there each and every week. He was just so committed to it. And here he was in Rockhampton, a little different to what I remembered him. And the guys who were with me were like, oh, look at this guy. Can you believe that? You know? And I mean, he was a spectacle. And it just cut me to my heart. 
And I said, you know, you know this guy, he, he used to come to my church. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding? I said, no. I said, and he knew all the Bible passages. I, I, I said, I don't understand it. And I wasn't particularly bitter or angry at them because I suppose if I didn't know the guy, I, I possibly would have been saying the same things. And later in the evening... This guy actually made a pass at one of my indigenous friends. And he was so angry, he, he rebuked him. And then he goes, yeah, and my brother Charlie knows you. And I'm like, oh, man. And this guy turns to me, he goes, how do you know me? I don't know you. And I said, oh, I said, you used to come along to a group in Bundaberg called Awana. And he just goes, you weren't my leader. And I said, no, I wasn't. I said, Fiona Loberguy I was. He said, yes, and he grabbed my hands. Think of that, will you? Boob tube, boob tube, fishnets, heels, everyone watching. What would your reaction be? And I've got to tell you, every part of me wanted to rip my hands out of his hands. But I wouldn't have been any better than anyone else who was looking on. So I stood there and held his hands. That wasn't me. It really wasn't me. I stood there holding his hands for 20 minutes. As we talk backwards and forwards, this guy said something that I missed. He said, I was a good boy, wasn't I? That was a confession that I missed. He knew where he was, wasn't where he needed to be. He knew something had changed. I wish I could tell you that he came to faith and we had this great celebration and it didn't happen. And as far as I know, things got a lot worse for that guy. And I don't know where he is now. But that's what we have to do. We have to love with this unreasonable, unconditional love like Jesus loves. We've got to be willing to make those differences. And the defining question for us is not, have we served God? How much have we sacrificed for him? How much have we prayed to him? But rather, do we love him? I mean, seriously, do we love him? And sadly, I think many are powerless and spiritually impotent to love the way that God's called us to love. Think about the passages that we have read tonight. Jesus says, to love is better than sacrifice. Do you hear what he's saying? That's what sets us apart. To love is better than sacrifice. Have we loved God? And I mean really, have we loved God? Have we sought to spend time just growing to love Him more? To those of us, many of you possibly in the midst of this or are about to be in it, some of us are speaking historically. But do you remember when you first fell in love? 
I do. I loved Elena. I was going to marry her basically from the first day I met her. She didn't know it. She found out a couple of weeks later that I intended to marry her. But, you know, before we were really dating, I, I knew that this girl was for me. And, and I remember one night in particular, I dropped her home at about 1am in the morning and I picked her up at 4am the same morning to take her to Bundaberg. I just wanted to spend all my time with this girl. I wanted to be with her. And you know, you do these crazy things when you're in love. You just do whatever it takes to spend time with these people. And think about our quiet times with God. If we really love Him, is that reflected in the time we spend with Him? Some of us can't even muster that five minutes in the morning to spend with God. And I, I was no different in my early Christian life. It was such a chore. Some of us actually do spend more time than five minutes with God each and every day. But it's like we just want to tick the box so that if one of those pesty pastors or church leaders or youth group leaders or something like that asks us if we've done our quiet time, we go, yep, spent a half hour with the Lord this morning, spent an hour with the Lord this morning. Tick that box. And the thing is, we should be wanting to spend more and more time with God. Think about our prayers. How often are our prayers like shopping lists? You know, prayer, prayer is something that we've got to be willing to develop and grow in and everything like that. And so often we come to God and we've just got this list of things that we want to do. Or again, it's just like, thank you God for this, thank you God for that, please do this, please do that. And then you're out the door. How many of us, even the ones of us who seem to spend a lot of time praying to God, how many of us actually get to a point where we say, you know what, God? This morning, tell me what you want me to pray. Speak to me, Lord. I, I, I'm going to wait on you. I haven't done it with the young adults here yet. I've actually done this with groups. It is mind-blowing. Of course, they're really nervous about it when they first do it because it's like, I mean, how crazy is that? Is God really going to speak? And I love doing this on whiteboards. And the whiteboard's usually turned away from you, so you don't know what other people are writing. And we just say, we're going to wait on God. And whatever God says to you, I want you to get up. I want you to go to that whiteboard. I want you to write it up. And you know, the incredible thing for me is I am yet to experience a night where I have done this where there isn't a common thread in everything that is written. Of course, there's a couple of things that don't seem to gel, but there's always seems to be a common thread that runs through what God has said that night. And I'm sure some of you have experienced this where God speaks to a group of people, all individually, and when you put it together, God speaks to us. Are we willing to say, God, I'm just going to ask you, what, what do you want me to pray? What should I be praying this morning? What should we be praying this evening? We should be willing to hear God's cry for us. Our lives with him is a relationship. It's this incredible love story. It's about being brought back into right relationship so we can spend eternity with him. We come into church, which is great. Thank you for being here. It's awesome. I love people coming into church. But do our actions here reflect our love of God?
You know, the incredible thing these days, there's people who spend more time on their phone than listening to what is going on up the front. And it's, of course, you read your Bible. I don't mind people using their phones. But you, you think about what you're doing when you come here. Are you focused on what God is saying, whether it be during the pastor's message or whoever's message is up front through music and song, even through the announcements? We miss so many things because we're not paying attention to what God is saying in the midst of that. We need to listen for him. And then there's this whole group of people in churches today whose primary focus is on serving in the church. And again, that's a great thing. I'm not going to say, everyone stop serving. We should have a desire to serve in the church. But it's interesting, we speak to people about their relationship with God, you know, like how you're committed to God, how you, how, how's that manifested, how's that going? And they say, well, yeah, I, I serve in youth or I serve in kids' church or I serve in the kitchen. God's not interested in our sacrifices and service. He doesn't want us to serve if we don't love him. Revelation 3, 15 and 16 says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The ESV translation is not very good here. Make a note of that. Charlie actually said that. The better translation will be, I will spew you out of my mouth. It's a violent, a violent thing. And this is the account of the church of Laodicea. This is a church that knew God very well and they were serving him faithfully. They had this fervency for him and something happens in the middle of that fervency. And they may have become just a little bit smug about the blessings and everything that God had poured out upon them. Maybe they were just happy with where they were at. But something changed. And we see in the midst of this account, God's not calling them to become hot or cold. He is making a statement. You're neither of those things. And because you're neither of those things, you're lukewarm. And that is totally unappealing. Because it's unappealing, I'm going to spew you from my mouth. Does that sound like a good thing? I wouldn't want to be one of those people that God does that for. It's not a good outcome for anyone. And God also says in Zephaniah 1.12, At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will, do, will not do good, nor will he do ill. God knows our hearts. The church of Laodicea were judged because of how they conducted themselves. And Jerusalem, in the book of Zephaniah, was also judged. God dragged those people from all the hiding places they were in and they were punished. He found them, regardless of where they were hiding. And this is the same state for us as Christians. We can be hiding in clear sight in the greatest ministry in the church, but God knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows where we're at. And you might fool me as a pastor. You might fool other leaders within the church, but you will not fool God. Those of you who are hiding in clear view in ministry, God knows your heart. And you know, tonight, he's calling you to love him. He's calling you to put everything else aside and focus upon him. And he's saying your service is worthless. It's of no value unless you love me. 
So what's God saying to us tonight? Ask yourself that question. Do you love God as you should? And as you ask that question, is God putting his finger on something in your life? Has there been something that is said tonight that has stirred your spirit and caused you to say, you know what, I'm not where I should be? What scripture command of you? What are you asked to do in response of that being put upon you? And when we think about how we love each other, as we've heard tonight, is that a love that costs us? Are we willing to put ourselves out so we can show God's love in such a real and powerful way? That's what we're called to do. And when we pray, are we those people who come to God and say, God, it's not what I want, it's what you want. What are you calling me to do, Lord? And if you are literally nodding your head and say, yeah, I've got to change. If there's something stirring in your heart, will you realize the way you've loved God isn't right? I want you to come to the front. There's no judgment here. There really is no judgment. I want to pray with you. I want to celebrate that Holy Spirit has moved in your heart and said, you know what? This isn't right in your life. You need to draw closer to me. And then we'd love to nurture you. We'd love to continue to have conversations with you. We've got this whole leadership team thing happening in the background where we're going to have people willing to disciple others. I'm excited about that. But you've got to take those steps. We can't bludgeon you with a baseball bat. So if Holy Spirit has spoken to you tonight, please come forward at the end of the service. Or if you can't wait, come forward anytime. I'll gladly take you outside and pray with you. I'm going to close in prayer, hand back to the worship team. Can I ask you, don't deny God. If you don't come forward, if you don't take actions to be obedient to him, you know, it, it, it doesn't harm me. It doesn't harm us as a people. We're less because you don't contribute. It harms you, and it harms your relationship with God. Balls in your court. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this message. Thank you, Lord, first and foremost. You challenge me. And Lord, I, I know I'm not in that right place yet where I love you as I should, Lord. But I'm, I'm trying each and every day to give you a little bit more of myself. And Father, I pray for everyone who has heard this message this evening, that as Holy Spirit has stirred their hearts, Lord, they'll realize that they need to change. They'll realize that they need to give you more. And that, Father, they'll be willing to make that step, embarrassing though it may be, to come to the front. So, Lord, together we can grow in faith with you. Father, please continue to stir our hearts. Help us to be those people who are willing to spend time with you and ask you, Lord, what would you have us to do? What would you have us to pray? Lord, we're stepping into a new year. How awesome would it be if this was the one thing we did for the year, to commit ourselves fully to you so we can know all of your power, all of your glory, all of your love, and we can pour that out to others, first and foremost here at SDBC, Lord, but then further afield so others can be brought into your kingdom. I can't make it happen, Lord. Please continue to move by power of Holy Spirit and call these people to you, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.